0: Friends, I can't even begin to express how excited I am to be bringing you this episode today. When I started Forensic Faces a few years ago, I wanted to highlight the wonderful people of the WFCA and I did that for a while. Then I needed some help to stay motivated and create episodes, which is when I recruited the lovely and talented Melissa Gabrielson to be my co-host. And changed the format of the podcast to shine a spotlight on the issues that forensics coaches and students deal with on a regular basis. And now we're going back to our roots, with one exception. The wonderful people you will hear in this series of interviews are from outside the WFCA. Don't get me wrong, we still have a lot of incredible stories to tell that come from right here in Wisconsin. But forensics is a big world, and I want to introduce you to some new voices. Over the course of the next few weeks, we'll be chatting with people who can offer new perspectives on this activity, share with us what forensics is like in their neck of the woods, and hopefully make our forensics world feel a little smaller. The first interview in this series is with one of the forensics world's biggest superstars, Donis D. Roberts, or DDR if you know him well. Roberts is an 11-diamond coach in the National Forensics League. Eleven. Diamond coach. He served on the NFL, now the NSDA, board of directors for 24 years, which sounds like a long time until you compare that to his 57 year career as the coach at Watertown High School in Watertown, South Dakota. In addition to many other accomplishments that he refused to brag about in our conversation, Roberts created public forum debate to make the activity more accessible to students. A quick technical note, Donis and I spoke over the phone, and while the sound on his end was fine, the microphone I used sounds terrible. Rest assured that i fixed that issue for future episodes. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Donis Roberts. This
1: is always, always fun, you know, you're always... Uh... As long as somebody is interested in interviewing you, you know you're standing upright and yeah. uh, must be <laughs> something around so you know, of course i'm I'm pleased to be here.
0: Well, thank you so much. You have a lot of information actually online about you, but for our listeners who may not know the Donis Roberts story, where um, where have you coached um, for for the sake of our listeners? Um, I know you're retired now, but you just mentioned you have another business. So for those who aren't aware of what you're doing, what are you up to these days?
1: Well, my uh, business that I have developed over, over time is a bookstore. And we have a large, fairly large, uh, new and used independent bookstore in Watertown, South Dakota, which is a... 25,000 population town with a large, uh, with a rural area around it. And uh, Watertown is where I coached. So I started my coaching career in 1960, the fall of 1960. And here it is, 2017. Now I've been retired <laughs> for 17 years. But I, uh, my, the only teaching job I ever had was Watertown, South Dakota. The only coaching job I ever had was Watertown, South Dakota. <laughs> and since I've been retired, I've been a volunteer coach.
0: So I was going to say, because you just got or recently got your 11th diamond, I heard.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: Correct. So that, I was say so that correct. was at least fifty five years when I was doing the math. That makes fifty seven. Um, and you, like most forensics coaches, seem to put uh, quotation marks around the word retired because you don't ever read right. it. I, think, I, think,
1: <laughs> I think I think I think most most do. Yes. Um, I
0: I suspect that
1: uh, teaching, if it's been a, a major component in your life, is something that stays with you.
0: Absolutely. So at this point in your retirement, how much time are you usually spending with uh, forensics and debate students?
1: Well, it sort of depends on the time of year. Probably right now, since it's getting to the later part of the season in this part of the area of the United States, our season runs really uh, from November 1st in debate. It runs from November 1st until March. Mm -hmm. and other states have a different seasons but this is ours and so now it's getting toward the end of it so it'll be a little bit more time. I generally uh, judge on weekends. Um, My wife and I both judge on weekends and so that will be increasing and then sometimes I'm asked to help other students on the team with particularly an event like example Oratory, and I'm very willing to do that.
0: That's fantastic. Um, you kind of touched on this already, but uh, your season in South Dakota is, of course, different from other places. Um, what else can you tell us about how the, those events run in your state? What does is, what is a typical season look like? What events do you guys have? Uh, do you stray at all from the national events that are offered?
1: Well, ours is a very, very weird one, and it's not necessarily a good one. But, you know, one of the things that happens is that the development of everything within a state historically then becomes kind of ingrained in granite. Mm -hmm. hard to change anything. We'd love to change it, but we just aren't going to get that done. It starts with oral interpretation events, and there are seven of them in our state. That's not as big as many. It starts uh, in October with those, and that season runs October until the first week of December. Debate, extent, oratory events start the first week of of November and end the first week of March. So there are uh, seven Interp events, which includes drama and humor and dual Interp and informative speaking and so forth and that ends and then um, debate starts along with extemporaneous speaking and oratory and it runs and then the national interpret events run with it for tournaments so when we end the season we end the season with a more limited number of individual events and then three types of debate of course which are the national events
0: Are those two types of events, the oral interpretation and the debate and oratory, are they run at separate tournaments or are they happening usually in the same campuses? Are are students able to cross over and do both?
1: Most of the time it's both. Um, If
0: it's a two-day tournament, uh, for
1: example, it will be debate and individual events. If it's a one-day tournament, it will be debate. In the fall of the year before debate begins on our tournaments and the Interp events are every weekend uh, for one day, not two-day tournaments. So the two-day tournaments take place when there's both debate and individual events taking place at the tournaments. And then students can still do both
0: mm-hmm.
1: if they choose to. Right. That's they can do both. Um, they can choose
0: not to do both and depends on the program i I ask because here in Wisconsin we have our debate season happens in the fall, and our forensics or speech season happens in uh, the winter into the spring. Um, and right. we've we've discussed having you know seasons that would maybe overlap uh, that would maybe last a little longer, but we're not necessarily going to tournaments every weekend. Uh, And of course, the argument that comes up against that is often that we would then be forcing students to choose between uh, doing their debate categories or their forensics categories if they wanted to do both. But it sounds like you guys have a system where they can they can still cross over if that's what they want to do. They
1: can they can they can cross over, although uh, we give worlds to be able to. I ideally, we would like to start debate earlier and end earlier and then start the forensic events like you guys do. Mm-hmm. But it's just not going to happen in the mix of everything else in the state. Uh, Minnesota has something very similar to you. Yes. And, uh, and they used to have one that overlapped and they got rid of it. And yeah. uh, it, it, it actually... Because we were very close to competitively with Minnesota and did a lot of joint events, it sort of hurt us when they did that because then we no longer were competing with them. You know, we, they had their own separate. But our season is what it is. No one really likes it, but it is what it is.
0: <laughs> I completely understand. We have a similar system in Wisconsin. Somebody, there, people are unhappy with it, but just not for the same reason. So we can't agree that's on how right, to change that's it. Right, and uh, there's a state.
1: There's a state association, and they they're perfectly happy with it. Everyone's got his own niche in it. You know, all the mm-hmm. the all the events that are athletic and non-athletic all have a niche. They all have their weekends. They all are set in stone. And to change something, one of them, and change
0: it, to put it in conflict with other events, isn't going to happen. Right. Yeah, that sounds familiar to me. Um, I'm glad you brought up the state organization because my next question was going to be uh, what, what type of governing body you guys have in South Dakota. And for you guys, is your state organization at all involved with sending students to nationals? Um, or is, is your state organization's goal to get students to nationals or are they unrelated? They're unrelated.
1: The state activity, uh, doesn't oppose the national contest at all, but it, given the fact that all the qualifying is done through the national forensic league, mm-hmm. uh, they just more or less try to stay out of the way. They do have some regulations in our state that are different than many states they regulate how much competitive uh, uh, time a student can um, miss, how many tournaments they can go to and so forth. Oh. Some people, I think, violate this because not, not everyone has a check on everything. Mm-hmm. Or if some people do violate it, other people aren't willing to blow the whistle. But you're supposed to only be able to go to 12 events. As a as a student, like in debate, you can only go to 12 events. Uh-huh. And... Some and, and so in that way, they regulate it, but they don't regulate anything about the national tournament at all. That's done in the summertime, and it's
0: just not in their radar. Got it. Very similar to our system. They they just don't necessarily oppose each other, but they don't work towards each other. Let's back up a little bit. I'd love to know more about uh, you as a young person. Where did you grow up and what were you like as a, a child or a student?
1: Well, I'm a farm boy from the southern part of the state, so my career has been about um, 190 miles away from where I grew up, and... um my, I grew up on a, on a farm, a um, wonderful life, an independent and free life. I didn't have very, probably didn't have very high goals. I didn't really know what I was going to be doing in life. I assumed <laughs> I'd stumble into something. And uh, I, when, I, when I went to college, I, I knew I wanted to go to college because I was an academic kind of kid. Uh, so I wanted to go to college and do something. I was always intrigued by debate, particularly. But we didn't have it in our small high school that I went to. I had a um, a teacher there who was, in fact, an athletic coach who always said to me that you would really be a good debater, and that it's so bad you don't go to a school where there is debate. And he always pointed to a Sioux Falls school, Sioux Falls, Washington, which at that time was a very domineering school in debate, South Dakota. Sure. And. He always said, too bad you aren't going to Washington. Well, I started then watching the newspaper, the Sioux Falls Argus Leader, and discovered they went all over. They were this weekend, they were in Fargo, and next weekend they were in Minneapolis, and next weekend they were in Des Moines. And they almost always did very well. So I kind of became identified with them just by watching them. And then when I went to college, I made up my mind I wanted to learn how to debate. So that did happen. I went to college and and went out to debate, but I I never in particular thought that I would be doing a teaching career. I thought I probably would be a lawyer or something. And because my friends are people, adult friends uh, of my family always said, you know, you're verbal and you'll be a lawyer. And I thought, no, I guess I'm verbal. I'll be a lawyer.
0: (laughs) That uh, almost sounds like a compliment. (laughs) Right. Yeah,
1: yeah, well anyway uh, uh, life changes and then I, I became um, I became a teacher.
0: Now when you became a teacher at Watertown, did you get hired with the understanding that you would start a debate team or coach the debate team?
1: Well, fortunately it was a little bit different. Watertown, I mentioned the Sioux Falls, Washington was known in the area as being a very po- big power, but so was Watertown. So the two most dominant or prominent debate programs in the state when I came to Watertown were Watertown, Sioux Falls. Uh, There were a lot of other schools and many of them very good, Um, Brookings, for example, and Yankton throughout the city, but the dominant debate teams over time had been from Sioux Falls and Watertown, so they were filling a very experienced coaching role, and it meant a great deal to the community, and I was astonished that I think it was a lack of applicants, but uh <laughs> I, was, I was astonished that I got the job and um so it 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 was when I got the job I said, how am I gonna maintain this thing? And uh at first that was kind of an ominous challenge, but I, I made up my mind that I was going to try to do some things that were a little bit different, like I was going to try to really make a a high as high a grade Educationally based program with competitive based program that I could, and become a large chapter in the National Forensic League, which we did, and to become generally good, which for the most part we did. And it just kind of uh, moved moved along. You took it in a little bit different direction, debate changes. You know, there's huge changes between the time I started coaching and debating right now, far more changes and just because there's technology and, uh, and and so uh, I just uh, evolved with things um, trying to create a, a, a very competitive program but not losing sight of the educational nature of the activity those are the two I think big struggles that that happen and oftentimes I notice you know that you'll have, Schools hire an outside coach, you know, maybe a college student or somebody who's very high-profile winning, mm-hmm. and they come into the program uh, with no attachment to education, just winning. And generally, the good things don't happen, uh, not at least in the long term. And uh, I've always been of the opinion that the reason the activity really does exist it is by education, you know, winning is a bonus of, edu- of the education, and um, it's not separate.
0: That's a becoming a theme with the conversations I'm having with coaches, but, uh it's, it's often a misconception that, you know, competition hurts the educational process when, in fact, it's usually a byproduct of it. Right, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um I'm just curious. Same page there. Yeah. <laughs> that uh that team there that high school that you went to that did not have a debate team. Do you know do they have one now?
1: No, they don't. They don't. Uh after I was there for a while then they uh, developed a debate program and uh, they had a few kids that were very very good in it. Um but but they had trouble holding a coach, you know, uh, People would come and go. The person that really started it wanted to move on someplace else, and then people sort of quit. And then there was, you know, there's a kind of a tipping point. I, a lot of programs go through this. You know, there's a book called The Tipping Point, but they go through where there's just they just need some impetus. Like for example, one year they they. They were a potential winner, and we have uh, divisions of the state tournament. we have two divisions, large school, small school, and they were just on the verge they were capable of winning the small school, which would have made a huge difference to them, and I'll be done they didn't do it no. you know and then it just seemed like that that was a tipping point. The coach laughed the uh, people said, you know uh, well we we had the best record. For debating, you know, small schools, and we still was not good enough. Winning a state tournament was everything to recognition, and so it just disappeared again. Um, and also, there's no small schools in their area competing, so they always had to go someplace and, and drive a long ways. And, you know, they had to drive to Watertown or someplace, which is 200 miles, to sometimes compete in tournaments, and that was just out of the budget, Yeah, you know, for small schools.
0: Sadly, that's a familiar story. We hear about that happening all too often.
1: It is. It is a very familiar story. You know, when 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 I when I started coaching here in our state, um, there were about sixty schools, between fifty and sixty debating, um, and but well, the vast majority of them were small schools. That's almost all that we have. And I, I remember reading a statistic developed by the Activity Association that said that someplace in uh, 1928 or something like that, the largest number of schools ever in the history of South Dakota were debating, which is like 80-some. Mm. Then came to the Great Depression, and you know there was no money to do anything, and most of the schools that lost their programs were the small schools. And then there was some resurrection of that afterward, but then since since the 1960s, it's just nothing but a decline in small school programs. So now we virtually have none. We have the programs that in oral and terp where they compete, but then when debate starts, they're over.
0: Now you had I was reading up on you a little bit, and it one thing I was really impressed to find out is that you had helped to start the public forum. As a category in debate, uh, with, that would that would be right. With, that would with, be right. And part of the intention behind that was to make debate more accessible for students. Right. I I could what I what I observed
1: was especially in small schools that policy debate was just beginning to be inaccessible for small school programs. They they the kids didn't have the time. Kids in small schools and sometimes even bigger ones just have too many. Options to commit themselves to as much time as policy debate took, and um, I'm a policy debate coach. It's my favorite activity of all, including the one I invented. <laughs> um, but I worked on that activity, uh, another alternate debate division, to make debate more accessible to people around the around the country and uh, for, for people that didn't have programs and and also for people that had make programs, but not everyone wanted to debate either Lincoln-Douglas or policy.
0: Uh-huh. And to a large extent, that
1: that kind of vision or dream did come true. I'm very fortunate.
0: Yeah. So it certainly did in Wisconsin.
1: Yes. It, it's kind of all over, I think. Uh, also international. So that's that's very good. That was one of my dreams also. But I didn't I didn't and I didn't anticipate at the same time that the world would become such a dangerous place as it is now, which has really hurt all international education programs. Yeah.
0: I loved reading about your family because so often, uh, you know, forensics and debate or speech, whatever it's called, is hard to explain to somebody who's not a part of it. Um, and so often we have, uh, you know, forensic spouses or sometimes what we call our forensics widows because they, they tend to get left out a little bit, but your, your wife actually coached with you for, for decades.
1: Well, I was very, very, very fortunate that, um, um, my wife was, was not in forensics and not in debate or anything when she went to school, uh, or to high school, um, who was, was became interested in the activity and, uh, started off helping and started off judging and learning how to judge all the, the events at the time. She even judged policy debate on a more novice level. And so she continued to remain. So therefore much of the time when we traveled on weekends, we traveled together, not all the time because we split our team frequently, yeah. but. Um, and that became a sort of a, a, a way that a lot of families, uh, she wasn't a debate widow. In other words, she kept that away from happening. And in fact, she's sitting here right now listening to the interview in the bookstore. I told her to come to the bookstore because if they, somebody somebody wandered in. We don't open till 10, but in case somebody wandered in, that um, she would take care of them. So And she works here all the time, too.
0: Well so, our thanks to her for <laughs> lending you to us for these this time. well it was and
1: then we we had we had one child, and that child was in debate and and um so you know all three of us would be out in the road someplace frequently together and uh and all and um our daughter, uh, Robin, she was she became a coach until she had a family, and then she just uh, went into straight teaching. But she coached for about a dozen years, very successfully, in Minnesota.
0: Wow. Where did she teach in Minnesota?
1: Well, uh, Coon Rapids, which is a northern suburban school. Mm-hmm. And uh, she currently teaches at Wayzata. Excellent. Um- which is big, big Western suburban school.
0: I very selfishly have some questions about uh, recruiting and keeping kids interested, because that's often the thing I struggle with. Did you ever struggle with that? Did you develop any strategies uh, to keep kids involved in speech and debate? Uh, or was the strength of the program enough to keep them showing up?
1: Well, yeah, every program struggles with it. Um one of my goals was always we 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 worked really hard. We worked very hard, and we we and my goal was that we all worked together on causes. Not necessarily the extempers didn't work with the debaters, you know, and whatever, but that everyone everyone's role in our program was equally important. Our goal was to always do the best we could as a team. Um, you know, so, so during the individual season when we go someplace yeah if we um won the sweepstakes at the tournament we were at, but are there any first places or anything i was i was pleased that that had happened because we as a team had succeeded and so I always made it a very my my key focus always was team is everything, and uh most important that that would be. A little bit violated when you came to the NFL tournament where you tried to qualify for the nationals, you know? Sure, sure. And then the other thing I tried to do is to make all the work we did fun, the environment fun, kind of wacky, in fact. I made it so that I didn't want people, if you missed the working together because you wanted to do something else, I uh, wanted to make it so that when you came back after doing something else, people would say, oh, you missed last night. You should have seen this. And they'd go, damn, I'm not going to miss again. Yeah. (laughs) And so I tried to to make all the hard work fun and and to keep the atmosphere on it very light. That would even be on bus trips, too, and whatever. So those, um, those were about my only techniques. The other, I guess maybe there was one other one I, uh, frequently I, you encountered in debater forensics, kids that were extremely talented and sort of bored in school and almost in school dropouts, not very academically interested in things where I say, you know, you have a great deal of potential here and they like doing this debate stuff or something. I said, but you know, we, we're not going to be, you're not going to be able to do it with the way you're doing in your classes. So if you want to do this activity, you're going to have to really get some effort in there. I don't want to have these teachers coming to me because I won't put up with it and saying that you're behind, you haven't done your papers, you haven't done your tests, you flunked the last two tests, you haven't paid attention in class. I said, because if you want to do this debate, which you really like, you're going to have to shape up in those classes. Generally, that occurred even use that strategy with kids that weren't debaters in class, that weren't, were kind of bored with, they wanted to go faster than I could, we could go with the rest of this group. And I said, you love to read, just read. And mm-hmm. he said, you mean to tell me that if you, if you just see me reading a book back there, you won't get disgusted. And I said, no, no, you, you, you got to keep up in class. You know, you're going to just, do it out. But if you're if you want to go faster and you know where we are and you know what where we are in class, then just read. Read Jane Eyre, <laughs> War Peace, I don't care. <laughs> Time magazine. Um and so those strategies I think often save kids, both debate and non debate kids, from um, from a fate of just sort of being an in school dropout.
0: Well thank you for that. That's but, excellent
1: uh, advice. Well, I think you know, sometimes we get sort of caught up with our own you know, listen to me because if you don't you fail. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you gotta be you you gotta see the people. The other the other uh I, I gotta tell you one of my teamwork things, um and kids at first would always their eyes would pop open and they kinda wonder about this. I'd say I want you to know right out front I'm going to have favorites. I want you to know that. My favorites are gonna be the people who try hard for the team, that don't do dumb things, that have fun but don't do dumb things. These are going to be my favorites. So if you wanna be a favorite of mine, everyone can. You're not going to do stupid things and you know, like break training rules and defy getting caught. And you're going to be a team player. You're not going to be. You're not going to come up to me and not care about who how anyone else does. You're going to be a team player. Then you'll be a favorite. That's that awesome. maybe was as was as good a strategy as I ever invented about that.
0: I love that. I will be stealing that. <laughs> that is that's fantastic. So when you started coaching in 1960. Did you have any idea that 57 years later you'd still be doing this activity? Oh,
1: heavens no! You know, uh, I did not uh, did not have a solitary clue. I didn't ever have a um, a, a long range plan to stay in in Watertown. I didn't have a long range plan. I didn't have a short range plan to leave. But I I just assumed I would. Well, one of the things that happened is I got married. That changed that. My wife was a teacher. She didn't want to leave just to go nowhere, but she was willing to do that. I did look at other jobs on the college level in particular. I was often, I had many good opportunities out there, but I was having so much fun with what I was doing with high school and I couldn't see that college was more important than high school. I just couldn't vision that. I mean, I realized it was, it's on an upper level scale in normal terms. And I just had so much fun that ultimately I just said, nah, I think I'll just stay here and, and, um, try to do a good job. And, um, uh, that's, that's, that's how you end up being in the same program <laughs> identified <laughs> with it for 57 years, you know, <laughs> you can't figure out when you should leave, but as long as I'm having, as long as I'm having a good time, you know, the, um, you know, there's been a lot of things, like I say, that. That are very important in this, well obviously one of the things is I've had good health. Uh, I identify well with young people. I've always identified with young people still do I know I do, and you get the positive feedback, I'm out there on the judging things. I still get all these final rounds uh, on there. Um, people trust my value judgments, and my my wife has always kept me in line. I've had, I've had good advantages there.
0: Were there ever times when you wanted,
1: I didn't, I didn't, I didn't ever want to walk away from the activity. Uh, That was never, you know, if I, if I walked someplace back in the seventies, for example, if I walked someplace, it would be to another forensic location. I just didn't do that.
0: That's fantastic. 57 years and never wanting to walk away is pretty incredible.
1: Well, I could, you know, it would be be as, you know, kids are kids anywhere. It would be fun anywhere. It just, would it be more fun anywhere else? And I couldn't figure out that it would be.
0: That's quite a testament to the quality of, you know, not only the students who are in your program, but also I would think to the administration at your school that, uh, if they kept you happy and and content with what you were doing, that's a that's a pretty great place to be.
1: Well, it was, you know, I was one of the things. I had a lot of opportunities for for leadership. Sometimes you have more opportunities for leadership, you know, in the location you are. You know, I, I generally I think I took a disadvantage of kind of being remote and um, also smaller population bases and made it made it a more of an advantage than a disadvantage but i also was very assisted by the administration of the school i would go to them and i when i said you know i i went back in 1980 i said uh or maybe a 79 i said to the superintendent i i want to run for the national board of the national forensic league yeah I may well not get elected, but if I get elected I want you to know that I'll have a bunch of time that I'll need, you know, beyond professional leave, beyond a normal policy. I wanna know if I can deal with that, you know. Can I get the additional time that this is gonna require? And the answer was yes. So through subsequent educational missions and that and to you always keep your political game going too, and mm-hmm. so the administrations were were very uh, strongly supportive of my being my being involved. They considered it a, a real asset that I was involved in and, a, and as a leader in the activity. So they, they played a, a strong part in, in making that happen. I have known of places where people have been hopeful of the opportunity for leadership beyond their own district and the district has more or less nixed it, you know. I said, well, you can run for this board, but we're never going to approve you going to it. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, there you go. That's a good one. So, but I I was never I never had that trouble here.
0: What would you say to a coach who's just starting out their debate career? <clears throat>
1: well, I I guess my advice would would be to The first thing is to keep education in mind about the whole activity. Um, it's the key to both winning and losing, you know, kids always want to win. And my point was always, if we learn as much as we can about, um, let's say the debate topic as we can, and if we all get together and sit around the table and study the arguments that are available to be used by all part of education, that we will increase the chance of winning and we'll decrease the chance of losing. If we just think about winning and losing as a separate entity, none of this is going to happen. If they're on the debate team, for example, I, I never want to just have two debaters. I want a whole stack of them. So if we sat down with, let's say, the top, four varsity teams, we sit and talk about the argumentation that's available, and argue about it, laugh about it, give, um, dis- discuss strategies. Uh, we all sit there around the table as, as equal players, um, discussing it. And ultimately, my decisions would, if there was conflict, would be would prevail, and most of the team, other uh, t- the teams would always accept that. But everyone had a chance, so you kept edu- I kept education in mind. The second thing I say is you got to make the activity fun. You got to have a good attitude about the activity, have a lot of opportunity, uh, uh, be willing to play loosey goosey sometimes in in preparation, especially when the season gets long and dark, when losing takes place. So education and 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 having um, a good a good working attitude on the team all the time that keeps a lot of keep a, a lot of people laughing. Have jokes, have 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 things. You got to figure it all out. And if you had a if you had people on the team, usually you'd have people on the team who would be very helpful for this. They loved trying to keep it loosey goosey, you know. <laughs> yeah. So if you could keep them sort of in line, those are the. Those are the most strategies I would use as a as a young coach keep them keep education in mind and keep it keep it fun. That's awesome.
0: I always like to end these interviews with just some fun questions um you've already identified your favorite category as being uh policy debate uh but what in in your long list of accomplishments, what do you consider your greatest accomplishment?
1: Oh goodness um I don't know there's a lot of them I mean uh, the biggest accomplishment I would think always was was working and teaching students that that's always the biggest achievement um and it, it's been a, a long opportunity and and I've had a lot of fun with it um I've had a lot of fun with students from other schools I I never I never have felt that giving students from other schools tips about what to do is at all wrong. It's all part of teaching. Um, I I suppose public forum debate is, would be up there. Um, some very, some place, um, there's a lot of things that on, the on on the time I had with leadership that, um, I'm pretty, pretty happy with. And I suppose being, um, on the national forensic league board for 24 years, would be up there and I, I had one of those rare circumstances where I, I never lost an election and, um, not too many. I and, mean, you know, a lot of people, they become, um, they run, they don't get elected, they run, they become alternate, you know, something. Sure. I never, I never, I always had a break there and I got a break on the opening time I ran when a couple of veterans that had been on the board for a long time Supposed to retire, and there's a whole bunch of people want to succeed them. Well, I got didn't get lucky in winning the election, but I got lucky in them not running. <laughs> and so, but other than that, I was in pretty good stead. And I and I think, given the politics of the whole nation involved, uh, it's pretty good achievement to be reelected that many times. I'm more proud that I did something after I was (laughs) reelected more times that I didn't just sit on there and become, you know, a board groupie, Mm -hmm. but rather uh, very, very much. So I was known for my time on the board, I think, as being a policy board member, always interested in what policies we could change that would improve the activity for the largest number of students.
0: That's excellent. Do you have a favorite memory as it relates to speech and debate? I
1: don't think there's any one, one memory that's just all above anything else. Um, I don't really know what to say there. I looked at that as a question and mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I don't think there's ever, there's not one mm-hmm. win that's more important, you know, more important than nor one loss, more important. Um, I, I'm just not one one of those people that looks at one thing, arguments or one one idea I just don't have I just don't have um my 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 pleasure is that I've been able to be at least make an attempt to be a contributor for 57 years and having fooled somebody to think I am
0: (laughs) (laughs) well I was gonna say I think it's it's a blessing that you have probably too many memories to have to be able to even pick one so that is well
1: yeah it it really was you know I mean Sure. There are some things you know. Having a having a, a child on the team that was really good in the activities that she was in was was a real high. But you you know you also had the obligation to treat her as no more or less than anybody else, and you had to you had to to figure out how how you were going to do this. My whole thing was, I said you know. You always bring up the questions you have in a team context. Don't ask me at home.
0: You're a good coach, Donis Roberts.
1: Well, I've had a lot of fun doing it. You know, I've had a lot of fun when it's um, it's been a kind of a, a vast high, you know, and then it's also a great time to have a bookstore, you know, and to have a bookstore, uh, I've always had books too, but um, but to open a downtown independent bookstore in an age where bookstores are going out may not be a credit to my intelligence, but it's sure a daunting <laughs> challenge.
0: Well, how can our listeners find your bookstore? This is a perfect time for a plug.
1: Well, I do have some aspects of it on online. Um, I have a, um, a uh, Facebook page, which is DDR Books at 7th House Maple which is the address of the bookstore downtown. That's probably the most, most significant way to find it. I'm also on ddrbooks.com and then it brings up my page, but it's not really interactive. I just can't maintain an interactive page that long. So if you want to find books that I have for sale, you'd kind of like click on abe.com. Probably you've heard of that. Sure which is a sell site, and then it would take you with a couple more clicks to all my inventory that I have for sale online, which is not all of my books. Um, I, you know, I only have a few thousand for sale online. The bookstore is about 28,000 books in here. And then I have, um, about 12,000 at home that are part of my collection.
0: Wow. That is I have a lot of books, <laughs> a lot of books. Wow. That, that just makes me so jealous. That is fantastic. All right. Well, hopefully listeners will take a, a moment to check that out. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. This has been personally just wonderful. And I know our listeners will love hearing from you. So thank you. Well, well thank you so much for being interested. Okay. It was my pleasure. Please give your best to your wife from me. Uh, And hopefully I run into you in real life sometime very soon. Okay. Thank you much. (laughs) Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Forensics Faces is recorded and edited in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Our theme song was written and performed by J.J. Hammeister. Special thanks to Steve Shapaw and Dino Pape of the NSDA for connecting me with the folks featured in this series. If you're a fan of Forensics Faces, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. The more we're reviewed, the easier it is for others to find out about us. More information is available at ForensicsFaces.com, and you can connect with us on Facebook and Twitter by searching Forensics Faces. This is Kurt, encouraging you to listen think, and speak, preferably in that order.